life, when I up, he gon' freeze up. When it's cold, I'ma stick with that heat tuck. It's YBN, little nigga, get your team up. Remember all the days I was broke, now my cheese up. Tick a, tick a L, bounce back on some new shit. Kick a dough, bounce out with them all right we're back once again folks live in greenwood bonjour shalom what's up and welcome back to how you living i don't know if you know this but we're the one and only show recorded live in the chaz tower chaz tower in the million dollar studio million dollar studio cash money blue cheese cash money blue cheese always asking the same question to my friend chaz to begin with how you living, Chaz? Well, now that you mentioned blue cheese, I want hot wings now. Oh, right? Okay, well, I was talking about those new hundreds because they got the, the blue ink on them. Uh, and it's that cheddar, so it's that blue cheese. Oh. <laughs> Shout out, Migos. Blue cheese. Uh, that's right, folks. We're here live once again. And as always, before we dip into the episode, we like to look back on the other things, the places and topics we've talked about. In a little segment called Callbacks. Callbacks. That's right. That's a clean one. We're going to use that in the next uh, drop that I make. Uh, and that's right, guys. So here we're going to just kind of look back at all the things that have been going on since we've uh, previously been talking about things. What What's on your mind as, a, as an early callback? Well, I kind of wanted to. So I don't know, y'all. We mentioned last week uh that there was a climate report that came out um on black friday and it was supposed to come out in december for this big uh sort of climate conference of sorts in washington in december but it came out early so i I dove into it a little bit i just kind of want to give you all some bullet points uh, which you can learn from it um like climate change is already happening we went over that last episode um and if you want to know the specifics, they always talk about like the percentage or, um, or the degree that it's raising ever since, you know, the 20th century in the lower 48 has gone up like one degree Celsius or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so and that means it'll it's already been impacting uh, our climate and in turn impacting our weather. Um, something that Trump never understands is like or a lot of people don't understand is that weather is different than climate. And and you can basically say that climate is weather over time. Um, yeah. You, you mean you could say that like <clears throat> the dictionary would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you, I think the two things that you to think about, because one of the things I want to start focusing more on the show is like the impacts of things, the nuance of things, and the intensity of things. Because uh, Trump, uh, he didn't like incorrectly state that uh, even while he's been on the office, like carbon emissions have been going down still, but the rate that they've been going down since he's been in office has slowed. Right, um, and we can see that because of EPA and all that jazz. So first, we got to look at the health crisis of it all. And the health crisis, like there's a few things you look at, like a heat wave increase. Um, if you live in a big city or anywhere where there's like a lot of desert, like I lived in Philadelphia and Philadelphia, like is a swamp technically. Um, and every year during the summer, we would always get these heat wave uh, warnings and as always check up on the old people, make sure they get uh, air conditioning, make sure they stay hydrated. Is that like one of those Spike Lee movies where everyone was like breaking open the uh, the fire hydrants on the street and everything? Oh, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> I think that's something at least it happened in my hood. Okay. I don't want to say it happens in all hoods. Okay, right? but I'm just saying that was happening in yours. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it definitely was yeah. like there. There was. 
in Philadelphia, there was a city, I don't know, city mandate or something, but the fire department would come in, put this like special type of hose on the fire hydrant so people could play in the fire hydrant because there wasn't a lot of public pools. Like that was really the only way if you're living um, uh, in a block that had row homes for you to get like water cooled off during the summer. So that was definitely like a big aspect of living in the, the quote unquote hood as a kid is the pool desert. We always talk about the food deserts. We aren't talking about the pool desert. Right? I mean, uh, why, like, the whole black people can't swim. Like, you need to give them pools so they can learn, motherfucker. Let me stop. Bring (laughs) bring pools to the hood. I can't think of the hashtag, but we'll we'll get one out there. Right. And then the other health thing that we have to look at that's very interesting (laughs) is basically the increasing of insects um, that are coming through, especially mosquitoes that, that can carry, like, west nile virus probably not malaria but you know right they can they can carry malaria but don't like that's we're, usually... not, we're not creating a malaria scare right now in philadelphia right <laughs> i got you um and also uh, uh ticks for lyme disease and lyme diseases ticks suck man yeah i didn't get like a lyme disease one but one time on a hike i had one like embed his head in my like sh- like leg oh jeez it was super lame i had to like i was like wow that really hurts and then it was a bug stuck in me yeah and then you had to go get checked out but the the doc was cool with it cool he was like and, You're good. <laughs> let me see and then when it comes to we always talked about the economy like sorry not the economy but we also talk about um growing food and it kind of can segue into like what the econ- what an economic crisis would be with the uh climate change as well but insects like beetles and moths that eat plants um but also just like the loss of money from not being able to get a higher enough yield from your crops because of climate change but then also this this last one the economic crisis um are ones that u.s coastal lines uh, it have a potential of losing a trillion dollars worth of uh, public infrastructure and private property because of sea level rises storm surges and tidal flooding and and of course food security that i just mentioned slightly earlier so yeah that's that's kind of the impact of climate change as we know it. And there's a lot of obfuscation and misinformation coming from other parties, especially when it seems to be this whole climate versus jobs thing. And I told y'all last week I would go over the um, the Green New Deal. I have some bullet points on that, but we'll come to that when we get to political action is lit. Right. And uh, speaking of on your point on climate change, of course, it might end up as the documentary Kevin Costner produced for us. Waterworld, <laughs> which would mean definitely <laughs> hold on to your jet skis, people. That's what I'm saying. The jet ski becomes a versatile tool <laughs> in the future. <coughs> and, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, my two quick callbacks, just as a heads up. Uh, one callback to kind of a similar topic, the wildfires in their situation, is we were using them as an example of climate change last week. Uh, there's a story coming out that so far the California wildfires has put out an equal amount of pollution as coal power would have if it was still being produced mostly in, by coal in, in California. So it's it's pretty much uh, a, a, a pretty devastating thing. So we're going to see other effects coming out of that. There's just mm-hmm. more pollution in the atmosphere for the time being, and it settles over time. Uh, depending on how high up in the atmosphere it gets. And then as a kind of look-forward callback, it looks like Trump's going to be meeting again with uh, Kim Jong-un 
oh, in oh. early 2019 is oh. the report. So uh, keep an eye out on that and kind of. Uh, as a callback, we did a couple episodes on the Korean regime and mm-hmm. uh, the Trump uh, negotiations last time. So we'll see what happens with that. And I think that, my friend, brings us to episode 66. Into the show. Route 66, the episode. Uh, Where go- you get your kicks. Going through America's heartland, except for I'm sure all those businesses have closed because interstate highways. Route 66. We're sorry. Uh, <laughs> and with that, we're here live in the Chaz Tower to talk about today's uh, topics. So what are, do you want to go into the Green Conference or what's your uh, what's your first topic? Today, uh, I mean, uh, I just want to get 45's bullshit out of the way. Like, so this week in fake news, there's wake and fake news. Ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Well, like some 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 good ish news is because of the g20 summits that just passed um definitely the whole trade war between china and has been escalating over the past few months uh but because of that uh no new tariffs on china are going to be put forth um the it was his plan that he would right now it's two billion dollars of tariffs which is a lot of money money wise but when you look at the whole swath of the global economy it's dropping a bucket yeah but it is having a local impact as we saw with the farmers too so we can't discount that but the fact if it went from two billion to 200 billion was what he was thinking right. that would have had a big impact on the economy right okay so that's uh, cool so yeah stepping back the tariffs yeah so that's a little one uh but you know you know you know, y'all. You know what time it is. Y'all know what time it is. It's Mueller time, y'all. Okay. It, it's <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, because uh, Robert Mueller's investigation, uh, both Paul Manafort <laughs> and Michael Cohen um, were said to be lying at a separate accounts. Uh, so Paul Manafort had his peel, uh, plea deal revoked because of that. Um and then uh, Michael Cohen uh, it also, what is it? Not committed guilty. Uh, pled guilty uh, to, you know, lies about knowing that Trump actually was continuing with uh, the Moscow Trump Tower deal uh, well within, into 2016. So, you know, it's going down for real. <laughs> we'll see uh, as it steps forward. I mean... Well, we know that there are giant sidesteps at the very end that Trump can make where he's mm-hmm. basically pardoned. So, Oh, yeah. And uh, see, that's the interesting thing, because I remember way back when we were talking about this, um, and we were talking about uh, Robert Mueller's plan to do some of the indictments federally, but do some of the other ones um, on the state side. So uh, at least Paul Manafort on the state side, I believe he was in Virginia doing some things um, and he got convicted for those. And there was another state that's slipping my mind at the moment, but he was also convicted in that state. And that kind of led to this whole plea deal that he gave. And it was kind of supposed to open up, you know, bigger players, kind of like the whole you get the person at the bottom so you can get the Don later. Sort right. Of thing. OK. Um. So so we'll see. And the, the fact that he reneged on his plea deal can maybe F that plan up a little bit. I don't know. Right. But it's, it's another one of those like stories that's always working. So, you know, just it's 
there's not a lot I have to say about it right now, but there could be more um, as as time goes on. We'll see. We'll uh, see. We'll see. As long as it is allowed to continue. Uh, another thing that happened this week was we had a earthquake in Alaska. Oh yeah, which is just kind of interesting because uh, you know we don't hear a lot of we heard a lot about the wildfires when the wildfires happened. Ob- obviously, those were ongoing and there was quite a bit of tragedy that was tied to it. But we haven't heard too much direct reports um, from this uh, Alaska earthquake. Otherwise, that it was just it was pretty severe. Um, I guess partially, I kind of think that's because you know. Uh, the the size of Alaska as whole it didn't actually affect the entirety of Alaska mm-hmm. once again because it's a very large area uh, and the fact that it, the people themselves are kind of spread out as well oh so, yeah so the kind of direct human impact might not have been seen but uh, yeah they're still experiencing at this point more than a thousand aftershocks uh, and so we're uh, they they rated it at 7.0. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, if that hit Seattle, man, that would have some tremendous effect and damage. We would definitely be seeing some reports. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, so it was in Anchorage. And Anchorage, in Alaskan terms, is pretty well populated. Like, in, in American terms, not so much. But in Alaska terms, so and I have some friends who are from Alaska, so I kind of pinged them to see what their family was doing. And it seems like the impact of it over there wasn't huge. And like there's some infrastructure things. And Major everything. infrastructure. Yeah. It was yeah. Some, some, some big road uh, movement and everything. And, you know, it's just kind of also on this, uh, you know, climate change. This is, you know, maybe not directly, but it's probably um, a piece to that puzzle as well as um, our extraction of certain resources you know if they're fracking then probably but well not even just fracking because we don't really know um the role that that some of these high temperature kind of natural uh compound oils uh do for the for for essentially kind of a, a lubrication of our of our um tectonic plates so the fact that over the course of the last 200 years we've been extracting this element, okay, um, we're 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 we've been curious. The fracking is the most drastic form of it, um, in the sense that you're you're actually moving the earth to get the material that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, uh, extraction in general, um, we we we're not actually sure all of its impact on the tectonic plate movement and. You know, that's kind of a key thing. You know, there's a there's there's a lot of speculation that the iron core of Mars is very similar to ours, except for ours is molten. You know, so the last so thing, there's a solid. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Mars is a solid iron core. Yeah, that's that that's weird because like solid iron cores are usually the things that happen in gas giants. And usually the terrestrial planet should have molten cores, but, you know. There's no atmosphere on Mars. That does, those they two think, things are n- they not think, mutually exclusive. Well, the molten core would create the gyration of our planet, which would in turn create the magnetic um, polarity system that we have where we have the magnetic field around our planet. That, but the magnetic field and the um, atmosphere are two separate things. The magnetic field retains some of the atmosphere to a degree i mean you have you have uh 
a system of charged particles that is the atmosphere, you know, that are making up these elements, you know. And so there's definitely a part to play the magnetic field in the atmosphere. I think if you lost the magnetic field, you would lose your atmosphere. That would be my understanding of it. Okay. And I think part of that is, you know, things just escaping. And the other part of it is cosmic rays coming in and continuing the damage. Right. And and I should clarify that Mars does have an atmosphere. It's just not very thick, I should say. Uh, because you will still get burnt up going into their atmosphere if you go too fast and friction and all that. So, But it's like the thickest one of the terrestrial planets is on Venus. And the one that definitely has zero atmosphere is uh, Mercury because it's so close to the sun. Uh, but yeah, I believe that Mars has a slight atmosphere um, that also is... What is it? Nitrogen based with some other trace elements. Yeah. Yeah. They, they basically claim that Mars does not have an atmosphere and that they think at one point Mars had both a magnetic field and an atmosphere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. (laughs) My point being, if you destroy this earth too far, it just becomes a desert. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, but yeah. So I was just saying, so yeah, earthquakes, uh, we're, we're definitely, I mean, us personally, we live on the West coast, we're in Pacific Northwest, so we're in the fire zone. I mean, Alaska is, is Washington, you know, to mm-hmm. a grand degree, um, with bigger mountains and bigger sp- spread out areas, but we're all along that same, uh, ring of fire. And, you know, we got to kind of take, like, this is probably the closest example we're going to get of a major earthquake hitting us. So we should be taking some, uh, some real good science from whatever just occurred and what is still occurring up in Alaska, as far as how the directed impact is going to happen another thousand, you know, whatever, 700 miles south, if it was to strike the Vancouver, Canada, Seattle region, mm-hmm. um, kind of what kind of actual damage we could, and if our structures and infrastructure could handle that, which, you know. Yeah, some of them can, some of them can't. A lot of them can't. But I think, I think what we we know is that something like san francisco i mean it really slowed down the like movement of that city for a few weeks while they actually cleared out the infrastructural damage Mm -hmm. so you know if you had another one like that in a population center i mean heaven forbid new york ever gets hit yeah how big is like well and these have to happen along fault lines. What fault lines are along New York that we should watch out for? Well, the fault line out in the Atlantic Ocean is a different type um, of of fault to the subduction zone that's along our coast, which is what makes ours more violent. But so there's like a rift in the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, it it's not it's not as it's not as active, I guess essentially as the pacific plate and the north american plate mm-hmm. and then the eurasian plate yeah basically the pacific plate is a bastard because it's causing friction on both sides of it oh yeah so. yeah and it slowly moves and then it gets to a point where it recoils and when that recoil happens earthquake right right and then possibly tidal wave after that oh yeah the tsunami yeah so yeah, yeah, because there was a tsunami warning after that. I never checked back up on it though to see if anything came out of I mean, that. It was probably giant waves, but I don't think there was any like major ones where the, where it like draws out the ocean for 
quarter mile and then comes back. But uh, but yeah, just as a heads up, you know, I mean, uh, also you know they did a time lapse recently was released of the uh, the Arctic um, ice sheet, and it just in the last twenty years has shrank. Oh like, yeah, incredibly. Oh for sure. So there there's there's just so much evidence. It's 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 becoming ridiculous to even just have this debate instead of just be talking about the solution. I thought. I thought at one point in my life we were already on that path, and so it's weird to be, like, coming back on this. So I, I know that it's not all going to happen in 10 years or 50 years, maybe even 100 years. You know, this could these could be $1,000 or $1,000, 1,000-year um, kind of systems of uh, of real chaos that would, would take place to eventually start taking down what we know as the societal norms of these towns and these countries and these cities, you know. Uh, but I we're think gonna, it'll take earlier than a thousand years. I, I mean, honestly, it might not. I mean, it, what what I'm saying, though, is what we're going to see, though, is the the effects over that next millennium of, of very violent changes in certain areas. Because if some place in South Africa, for instance, runs out of water, um, as it's been happening you know then that's going to be a change of way of life i mean does people just stop living in sub-saharan africa you know uh who knows um and then where do those people go or how do the how does the world react to that crisis so i'm saying that's what's going to happen is things like that what happens when there is no ice cap on greenland you know is everything great for a while because you know the you're able to grow more industry and and different types of agriculture but then at some point you know does your skin cancers go up because you know you've you've now you've increased this temperature in the sun and like you know there's all these different things that can happen um and then here in in america you know california's water issue you know here we're going to have a major metropolitan area with a uh, of advanced quote-unquote uh society how are we going to deal with that? You know, and I know that pretty much the secret plan on books, it's like the obvious plan. It's not secret really is, you know, they're going to take the Northwest water because it's easiest to just grab ours and ship it South. Interesting. Well, I mean, at least we'll lose Florida, but anyway, <laughs> so, so yeah, all these things are, are, are interconnected in, in, in different variants of science. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it's, it's kind of why I'm glad we're also, shooting um you know space exploration things out there and that's how i know about you know the the situation that's on mars you know is and i can i can get an example of basically a place that has none of the cool things that we have and at the same time we argue over the bullshit we're arguing over you know retaining these devices to kill each other with the gun debate we're arguing over um just ridiculous things when the real argument needs to be are we going to try the, our best to maintain the balance of life that we have here on this planet mm-hmm. you know or are we going to bicker and fight with each other because what i was getting at was over that next thousand years i'm not make i don't need to make an act it doesn't matter if i say a thousand or ten thousand or two hundred because i'm not going to be alive Jess. So <laughs> it's not like i'm going to be like 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 told that I was right or wrong. So it does mean no service to be inaccurate here. But I'm saying let's say it was a thousand years. Within that time period, every 35, 40 years, you have some major event or catastrophe that eliminates a certain region or area or population base. You know, how the world slowly kind of reconnects and reacts to that is going to be the determination of how those next 600 years are 
played. And if it continues to be corporations, large um, landowners, and people with money, then they're just going to continue that shit, which is going to be collecting mm-hmm. the resources they need and pushing people away from them. True. To whatever degree that means. Whether that means cutting off the rest of the world and there's like 800 of them, they'll still try to do that over us having any portion of what's left. And that's going to be the kind of thing as we see societies crumble due to infrastructure needs and and resource of life needs it, it's the response pattern that we see that's going to decide kind of what those later down the the hill thousand years is so i hope it's not 25 because then yeah someone can a tell me i was wrong <laughs> so i might still be alive and b i'm going to witness what's probably going to be you know the worst time period of, of human history it could be the the end of it all yeah, and in my defense, I thought you were going to go into a, a small rant about how the climate would change, like, the ge- geographic landscape, and, uh, like, since that's already happening right now, and, uh, like, and from the things I've listened to about the climate impact, America itself will be relatively okay. Most people will just move inland, right, because there's still a lot of space there for that, and, you know. You'll probably be able to use more spaces, but other places like, you know, island nations, places with lack of infrastructure, like you said. Yeah, like the the social and economic impact. And, you know, we already see things like Brexit and everything like that when people are moving away from just regimes that have created unstable um sort of governments and such and we're seeing it here in america actually this is quite a good segue (laughs) (laughs) this is quite a good segue and people what do you do when people are leaving their countries because of unstable governments or you know things in general which leads me to uh america's a mindfuck let's talk about the migrant caravan oh right (laughs) Didn't we turn it around? I thought it was. It just turned out to be one one Volkswagen van. We were like, "You need to turn around." And we we're like, "Cool, man." No, no, no. That that had some. This is this this is this is an interesting story that I've been looking into it because because we're at we're at post children tear gas moment right now. Exactly, and that's kind of like the catalyst that I wanted to start from. Because, uh, you know, tear gas, uh, if you don't know, has been was banned by the Geneva Convention, but tear gas and pepper spray, because they are basically the same thing. They're made from the same chemical compound. They're just, um, what should I say, executed differently, um, can be used by both uh, personal folks like us. So, you know, hashtag me too, pepper spray. Women still need that. Uh, but then uh, there's tear gas, which um tear gas in and of itself is designed you know to irritate the eyes and everything of that sort and the real damage of it comes from the the self-propelled uh gas chambers that they will shoot out at people and that can hit people and hurt people and such so that's a big thing and from all my podcast listening basically it seems like everyone on the left's criticism of it is that tear gas is inhumane and was banned by the geneva convention as a chemical weapon and on the right they're saying that it justifies the use of it because the thing that initiated them using it was the migrants quote-unquote storming the border 
And I don't know if I like the framing of the word storming. Um, Part of me thinks it's based on just the implicit bias that we have for people coming from South and Central America, especially when they're escaping regimes and such that were whose problems were exacerbated by American um, interaction. So I'm just like, "Mm." (laughs) so uh, what I look at it is... uh, I don't like the fact that we just constantly keep using this to exacerbate hostility towards marginalized people. Like, that's just, that's 45, that's America right now. Um, But what I find interesting about it is that because we've been doing this, um, just immigration in and of itself, like, I went down to the ICE detention um, place down in Tacoma and protested there and it's been having an impact uh, socially and economically um socially there's just been civil unrest um recently in the news there was um a guy who just went into a place where Mexican work and says I'm here to kill a Mexican and beat him to shit just like just did that right so when you you say shit like build the wall and everything it's going to impact more and more hate crimes and such and but one of the things that I wanted to go into is, like, economically, uh, we're noticing that there's a lot of jobs, like we've talked about before, that undocumented workers actually do. And working on farms is one of them, working in the back of houses of restaurants or others. Uh, and, uh, it, no, one thing that I was listening to, Left, Right, and Center, where it's basically an unwritten rule for them to so the way it works is if you're coming from a place that is like war torn or something and you need asylum um they know even though they're coming here for work because a criticism from uh right pundit was that they're going to have their asylum claim revoked because they're only coming here for work but then someone else on the same panel said well no the unwritten rule is that you come in say you're going for asylum and then they release you like the whole thing about catch and release that the Republicans really hate. And then after they're released, they find these jobs in these farm workers or in the back of houses. And it's even though it's de jure or, you know, lawfully illegal, the de facto thing is nobody's enforcing it. So it just happens. And people still... But that also kind of opens the argument for enforcement. So then you you run the risk of a bunch of people who have been living kind of under the radar to get raided. Mm-hmm. If the, if if it's an if it becomes an enforcement issue, they, then that they'll just enforce it. Um, I honestly, what we need to do. Since I mean, we've only got the house. We don't have any of the legislative agenda to to really do this, uh, unless maybe a state wants to completely revoke its f- federal aid and and uh, create. We need we we need to create a system because, I mean, we can't have a flood of people all the time because that it there is the argument that the right says is actually accurate in the one thing it says where it says a lot of people do want to live here and that's mm-hmm. that's real so that part is real so if you asked a good portion of the planet here's your charlie in the chocolate factory golden ticket you get to fly to america and you're good we're good we got you we're gonna get mm-hmm. your job there's a lot of percentage of the the world that would want that that argument's right the other side is the the path of how this happened because we saw a similar version of this in a, in a different way when the, the the first Cubans 
started to come over in Florida. Oh, yeah, in the boats. Yeah, I remember that. Right, and we kind of developed this system, and it was problematic, and it involved a lot of them being, I mean, if you've seen Scarface or other, not that that's a documentary, but (laughs) uh, there's scenes there where he's in those kind of caged-off areas. They kind of created that, and they kind of sifted them in. So um, a more modern version that wasn't um, so detrimental to their livelihood is is kind of what's necessary. We need this process of not vetting as the term they're always using, but this process of like bringing them over, getting them at least, you know, the the most basic of human needs uh at their disposal and then find out if there are communities or states or places that have a direct need that they have some capability or ability to go. And ask them if you're like, well, the three responses we got were Carolina at this town or New York at this place or this, you know, do any of those sound like opportunities you'd like to try? Cool. Here's a stamp. Here's your temporary work visa. Go employ there. Thank you for coming through the official border, you know, it's essentially a detention center, unfortunately, but whatever you want to call it, if if you give it a better kind of presentation and, it, you know, it's enforced to a degree, like you might spend three weeks there and like it, you, you know, we can't, it's like, there's something to, cause that's the only answer. Cause I'm reading about on the other side of the border, you know, Mexico is dealing with this as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, I guess they had them in, uh, uh, kind of an old soccer stadium that was really close to the border we probably made arguments, we being the U.S. government, probably made arguments that by housing them so close to the border, they were essentially fueling the issue. So they've moved them um, back. But they are offering them shelter and food and medical mm-hmm. aid. And so um, essentially there, there could this could be a two-pronged effort where where there was a similar version of it in Mexico. And they find out if there's anything they can do in Mexico and also – where they're coming from, what's the re- reality of their situation, so their paperwork's in line, so that when they do cross the border and they enter, we're kind of already expecting it. This is where we're gonna. This is where we're gonna have it. We know that you're a party of four. We've got a place for you. You know, because um, the chaotic reigning system is what's feeding this now. Because right now we're gonna keep the seeing the reigning system, um, like the chaos, chaos reigns. Oh, okay. So the chaotic reigning, I'm saying, the reign of chaos right now is what's fueling the 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 headlines right now. It's what's happening in response to the chaos is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So so the 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 tear gas, the tear gas is a response from the right led uh, military effort in a sense of that's how they do crowd control, which mm-hmm. we have always kind of thought of as political disbursement as you know, basically a military exercise. It's always seemed that way when I've seen it go against protesters and things like that. Um, and then on the other end, the people are coming over in mass. So, so both situations create additional chaos. And so if you're an AP photographer at that scene, it's, it's, you're getting 800 Pulitzer prize winning photos that day because it's just Americans with heavy military mm-hmm. you know shooting at or lobbing things and devices to try and disperse a bunch of people wearing like you know super bowl 2006 t-shirts that got delivered to them because the dallas cowboys lost you mm-hmm. know or like whatever it is and 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 so the the 
the kind of juxtaposition of, of those is we're just going to keep seeing that. And that's it. It eventually we have to kind of, I mean, you can't just open the doors. We can all agree that we can't just open them. So we have to do something in this means of, of distribution of, of humans because, uh, yeah, we've already seen when we send them back to these places, a lot of them do end up getting killed. A lot. Yeah. There is a lot of drug and gun. and, and Yeah, it's gross mismanagement of the problem. And, I mean, and what I don't like is when there's vague usage of the word. Like, when they, when you say in mass, it does allow people to make up their own thought or value or amount of what in mass means. The caravan of people had a total of 5,000 people, right? Which is less than 1% of the U.S. population. According to the Mexican statistics, at one point they were housing 7,200 in the soccer stadium. And, um, you know, those numbers have gone down as people have made their attempts to cross. Mm -hmm. So there might only be half that number still. Yeah, so um, in mass, though, what I'm saying would be even 50 is in mass in a border crossing. Because if you were ever in a group of 50 people and tried to cross an international border, you're crossing it in mass. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But then what's the impact of that? Like, what? how should you're, that be handled? Basically the way I just said, because I just outlined how I think that should be handled. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're telling me in day one right now, you probably have to close the border because you know what you're putting at a security risk and you're putting a impression of a lack of security when you're allowing 50 people even to cross your border unguarded. That's real. Is this 50 people? You said at the same time, it's right? Same, it'd be like, what if TSA, what if you just saw 50 people board an airplane? You know what I mean? Like that, like I'm saying any crossing where you have a security checkpoint, mm-hmm. 50 people pushing past it is, is a very, heavy violation of security Mm -hmm. so you know there's (laughs) this is this is in mass in that sense because it's 50 probably every hour every two hours how many because just the caravan isn't the only crossings you already have people trying to cross that have been in tijuana the last six months you know Mm -hmm. who just timed it wrong you know they're like well or they think now is the chance it's it's it needs to have coordination on both sides. They need coordination. We need coordination. Mm-hmm. It can't be a yes, no. It's not a binary system. It's not you are, you, you're not. It's, it, we need to find out what's, who's actually here. What are they actually trying to do? How many are in their family? Let's stop splitting up families. That's, that's adding a, a complicated dynamic to the uh, I think they've settled that. I think that doesn't I mean, happen anymore. I mean, we still have kids that are out there. I mean, yeah. I mean, from the previous mismanagement of it, we haven't had enough impact in reuniting um, kids with their families because a lot of them got kicked back into uh, Mexico when things like that happened. Uh, But now there's definitely protocols in place to keep families together, even though they're still in detention centers. Um, I guess what I am slightly confused about is like, because I do, because I watched the videos and I saw how they were running towards the the border in that way. And some people were climbing over fences and such. So, and I understand it being used against those individuals doing that. But it was also used against people who were just right outside the walls and not storming the uh, 
Is it the border, as you say? So, I didn't say storming. Oh. You're adding that. Sorry. So you're adding impression to my argument. You're also challenging it on the basis that I'm going against yours. So I don't like that. I think you're being challenging today, and I need you to kind of be more of a conversationalist because you're, you're, you're challenging every diction I use, and I know that I'm using them right, and you've been wrong all three times. So raining is happening. There is a... a attempt to control that is raining uh in mass is happening because my declaration of a international border being ran at in mass is at least 50 there are at least 50 um i'm not saying storming no 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 let me and, let me re- and, no, and, no 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 i said Mikkel, let me retract that uh i said that because i was listening to a podcast where someone said storming and they used that to describe them getting to the border that's why i said that sorry um so, yeah. So, so what I was saying with that, like, because I'm really just trying to think of the impact of this. Both, like, I understand where the right is coming from with it, and I am trying to think of the humanitarian impact that is happening through those who are trying to come through. Um, and there's definitely fears of those individuals coming through, where they say they might be a part of gangs and doing nefarious things, and just like the whole hyperbolic nature of. Uh, if there's someone who's immigrating into the country, let's treat them like bad people. Um, and uh, that that's that's why I was challenging the the, the use of vague terms. Um, and and so so basically, and where where I wanted to get a clarification was like if I'm if it's me going through TSA and I'm going through all the correct security checks. And uh, there's 50 individuals going through an hour that way, right? Is that different than a cluster of people trying to get through? And and that was the clarification I was trying to make. If you're walking through a border and you're handing people papers, you're not storming a border. You're not running in mass. Okay. If you're jumping through security because 60 other, 30 other, 25 other people are doing what's clearly an illegal move to cross the border you're attempting to cross in mass. Okay, that makes sense. They've been using that to confuse border agents for 100 years. It's worked in different scenarios. It's led us to this point because we've ignored the problem to this point. Now the problem is coming to a head, and we're having very drastic solutions brought to it that are probably the wrong way to go. But it's also because we've been ignoring it as a social kind of construct since even the Clinton administration. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, this is this is where we are. Um, so, yeah, I don't think um, I have a direct answer. I'm also not in charge in any of it, and I don't even live along the border. So my opinion comes from a thousand miles north and just from what I can also gather from the evidence of the news sources as well as reports from the nations involved. Um, including the Mexican press, because there's a crisis of the same magnitude on their end as far as, you know, trying... Because they're not just ignoring these people either, you know. They're they're making an effort to, to feed and house them, and their country has had, you know, new immigrants suddenly arrive. So... Mm-hmm. At you, the Guatemala border. So, you know, it's um, it's an ongoing issue. I think I think ultimately... Um, it's, it's gonna, it's not going to be good for further immigration into America. I think ultimately we're probably going to start making legislation that makes it even harder to come to this country. Um, 
you know, we might make an exception like we did in the Cuban situation for a number of people in this particular group. Um, because they've arrived, because some of them do come from hardship, there might be exceptions. Um, it can't continue as is. Yeah, because there is a process like already in place. We're just not following it very well. Yeah. So, that's my opinion on that. You know, from a thousand miles away and not actually in need to cross any borders. And I ate breakfast earlier, so <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't run the same risks in my life each day as as some of them do. So, that's uh. That's my opinion on that. I'm I'm also supposed to, to some degree, it's just kind of the rule, um, present not challenges, but a, a way of thought coming from people that see the situation ideologically differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also it also matters to me that. To some degree, we eventually do have secure and respectable measures because, you know, I don't like, you know, and I've watched a little bit of this Narcos this last season and it kind of feeds this, but I can see, I can see us feeding it too from the financial end, but like the, the Mexican drug trade is, is awful, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's fueling some of this. Oh no, of course. And, um, um, that's, you know them always attempting to check our border and try and like push past it in some whatever measure they're using at the time whether it's tunnels or drones or trucks filled with produce or people with it taped to them or whatever it is they continue to push it and a lot of those have to do with our laws over here for drugs and the control of drugs and the value Mm. of drugs and the desire for drugs and then also people that are in power in you know, police and, and different things that can help kind of uh, overlook some of their strategies once they get over here, once the product makes it here, because it's so highly valued. If you were, you know, if you happen to be a construction worker or happen to be a police officer or happen to be somebody that has some angle that they can utilize for their enterprise, they're going to utilize it. And, you know, that's killing a lot of people in that country. It's also forcing a lot of people out of their homes and making them feel not safe. And they're adding to this caravan or they're adding to the continuing migration North. And if you know the history of cartels in Mexico, there's no president, there's no police chief. There's no military chief strong enough to take them down at this point because the numbers are so huge in money when it comes to it and bribery has always been a part of that system there and the whole uh giving back to the cartel the piso is like built into their like business culture and so it's hard to infiltrate a a basically a monopoly that is 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 a big part of this whole conundrum that we're dealing with. Yeah, Mexico does have a new president now. He just got elected Saturday. And the interesting thing about that, I remember hearing that he one of his campaign campaign platform things was uh if I remember correctly like the demilitarization of the poli- their police or some sort, but as soon as he got into office he retracted that. Mm. All right. So because that was kind of they're talking about the cartels that was their method of trying to deal with that um and 
I, I don't know all the specifics, so I'll have to come back to it. But I just that's something interesting that you mentioned with that because yeah i do remember like it's talking about another show like weeds uh that was all about you know the distribution of weed right near the border well in california uh or so and how they used to get that to go in um and yeah it all adds it all adds together so yeah i am definitely with you in in definitely making sure our border is managed correctly but I definitely think it's being mismanaged right now. And the rhetoric coming from our president and the people who support them does not help in the slightest. Right. It doesn't help. But unfortunately, he's not going to change his tone because it, they're responding to it. So it's it's this weird thing where he doesn't care anymore that anyone doesn't like him. Like it doesn't oh, yeah. it doesn't matter and the people love him for that and then their one ob- like uh, objection to him is oh he's not the smartest guy oh he kind of puts his own foot in his mouth sometimes but you got to love him for trying like mm-hmm. it's this weird it's this the, their expectation for a president is so far away from where I would even start mm-hmm. that I don't think we can even begin to understand how an argument could be made to them to change their mind about things like this. Well, I have an argument because I put this in America as a mind fuck, uh, to talk more so about how our, our current system of where we put the undocumented workers because of the whole unwritten laws thing. Um, uh, you know what just happened recently that happened last year, but happening again, kind of a callback. What's that? E. coli contamination of our romaine lettuce. Mm. Um, and uh, I was reading a thing on Twitter from someone named uh, Sarah Tabor um, talking about food safety and uh, how in food safety, you know, you need to set up cleaning and sampling routines. You need to have enough workers there that they know the process so you don't have to keep reteaching them. Um and since a lot of those places actually employ undocumented workers, we know what's happening now with ICE. You know, workers are terrified. They have a lack of health care and they have a lack of bargaining power. So, you know, it keeps them on desperation wages. So when you have people like that coming in to go into work on those things, an impact like an E. coli outbreak. I think there's been two of them this year and also one with meat uh things like that happen and i remember at the beginning of the segment you did say maybe there is a state that uh if they feel like losing their federal funding uh, might be able to do it and maybe that state is new mexico of all places because they're the ones as we mentioned last week that has um the entirety of their state legislature be democratic so if they're going to be someone who puts towards something uh it would be cool if they you know gave undocumented workers visas like you said uh gave those undocumented workers workers access to unions uh, limit um put limits on uh, ice's jurisdiction on where they can actually like check workplaces in time so there's not they're not terrified while they're at work um and also access to health care and sick leave right like having those things would impact the system so yeah that's kind of where i wanted to go to with this right and so yeah yeah no that's what i said mm-hmm. that was my solution I just said, but I mean, you know, maybe it is New Mexico, Um, you know, and it it should almost be all of them, honestly. I mean, you know, we need Texas on board. 
to a degree. We do. Like, my point is just going back to the dual federalism thing where I'm not going to expect Arizona to do it because they have an all-Republican House. I'm not going to expect Texas to do it because they have a purple state legislature. But with New Mexico, they have Democratic ones, and Democrats are more sympathetic to doing this where Republicans aren't. The one problem is, unfortunately, of all the states, New Mexico, I think, has the shortest border with Mexico. So as far as border politics go, they mm-hmm. have kind of the least input and Texas has the majority mm-hmm. and being the Rio Grande is its border. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, but it is a border and if it would be a point of entry where they felt safe, obviously they, uh, people that would migrate would utilize that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that it happens to be our shortest border as the as the solution, but yeah, and but, one of the least populous points. But it's 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 still, still right, right. Ultimately, it's it's not like I do understand how that would impact uh, the discussions of that. But ultimately, I want them to put forth a legislation that can be used in our own house, like the federal house, to create a federal rules for the border that you know changes how we do those things right and that would be the test bed because that's that's the whole thing about federalism have a state do it kind of like i see federalism the same way um a lot of places like mcdonald's see franchises where like that franchise tests out a new thing like the egg mcmuffin was started by a franchise right and then they're just like oh this is cool let's you know put this out nationwide and now nationwide we get egg mcmuffins so yeah i kind of sense my my hope, my, uh, I don't know. Yeah, my hope uh, is that New Mexico will say, hey, I know our border is short, but this is what we're going to do to help impact it. And if it's easier to uh, cross into New Mexico and they do things for, you know, immigrants who have actual asylum claims and everything like that, uh, then I think other states will hopefully take notice. Yeah. Well, uh, I... uh I do, I do agree with that. I mean, uh, they called state governments the laboratories of democracy uh, in popular uh, poli-sci opinion for many years. So mm-hmm. I still believe that. Um, I think you, yeah, you, you test everything in each state and see how it works. I, I also think it, there, there's a financial argument, and you did mention that Texas going purple, and I've always been very, like, proactive in saying Texas could, could go blue one day and everyone keeps telling me I'm like 30 years ahead of when, <laughs> when it'll actually hit. But, but I think it could. And it would behoove it to, to do it because it is it has some of the more populous border crossings outside of California. And then it also has um, the longest border and, and it, it actually has a shared history with Mexico to some degree. And so, and so there's kind of this weird um, opportunity for them to be... Um, a good a good kind of uh, ground for for evolving industries that that can utilize migrant how you know to the degree that kind of the tech industry did mm-hmm. with with kind of uh, Pakistan and India and China and Japan for its its engineers mm-hmm. um you, we we might be able to find something in the in the new economy and and Texas being kind of an outside thinker always independent minded Texas uh, you know, there might be an argument where they could create industries where they could utilize that 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 workforce, and and it, and, it, and if you can make it on that balance side, a, a more financial lucrative opportunity, states will get behind it. You know, um, they have big budgets and expensive uh, projects in in order, and so you know, ultimately we need to get them on board. Obviously, California, it possibly could get put on board. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it's going through its own crises with the water and the and with the ballot measure that almost split it in three and then almost five and so california's got its own infighting it's trying to figure out its yeah. own identity so it might not be the first one to to make mm-hmm. a move in this um the interesting thing is that back in the 90s crossing the mexican border was a lot easier and a lot freer uh, which was interesting and there was definitely um more like there was more of an ideal that you could just come freely and it would be that you know mexican workers would come in do the the jobs that i mentioned earlier like working on farms like you know there have been stories that complete harvests of uh crops in california go unharvested because there are no undocumented workers to do the work because americans don't want to do that work all right so i think saying there there doesn't need to be a new industry there's an industry that they were fulfilling jobs for and it just wasn't legal and so yeah i say new industry though because it kind of feeds into that argument you were saying with mm-hmm. people were trying to give them union jobs and things okay there's yeah. like an upward mobility thing I, mm-hmm. I, I think i think if you're going to make a modern strategy to this you can't just make a status quo example answer and say well we're just going to go ahead and accept low paying low wage jobs for these people no that's true um so I was saying uh, modern advancements would be changes, adaption. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're looking at green economy, uh, if we're looking at tech, uh, we can actually look at uh, Texas. You know, Texas mm-hmm. Inter- Instruments has been one of the most advanced companies in our uh, uh, country for forever. Pretty yeah. much ever since. It's it's always on the cusp of the next advancement, whether it's lasers, whether it's information tech, whether it's... Um, you know, just different things that that kind of fall into that high, highly specified scientific realm of of industry, and they also have a NASA outfit mm-hmm. because because they have Houston, and then um, you know they have just endless land. So there could be a new industry. You know, I could see something like a Tesla or or an Elon Musk industry. Uh, making its way to Texas mm-hmm. and maybe doing rockets there in alignment with the thing, maybe doing battery production, solar. Oh, yeah. You know, and there might be a need for, for migrant workers in that. I mean, migrant workers can pick strawberries. Can they maybe install solar panels? You know? You never know. So uh, that's kind of what I was saying in that. I'm not saying that it's it can't happen right now. I'm just saying you have to make the argument lucrative. You have to, you have to attempt to dilute the ideologies they have because they have these other poles that we can use for them. If we can make their livelihoods better, for some reason they'll lean their their um, kind of ideology on its side a little bit. We see that with religion. We see mm-hmm. that with women's rights. We're seeing those things push back on us. But through these kind of measures, we can kind of tilt the argument in our favor. Because if we try to argue one-on-one, we're not getting... Mm-hmm. It, we're, we're, we're doing that, that cross-argumentation thing where it's it's pro-life versus pro-abortion mm-hmm. pro-choice versus you know we're not actually arguing the same points yet we we use them as our argument so so we need to find ways to kind of tilt the argument in our favor and one of the easiest is 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 financial livelihood for the people that uh, can actually enact these things that is a good point so funny enough um in political action is lit I'm going to be talking a little bit about that, about the Green New Deal, but it's about time that we do our What's Fun in the World segment, Mikkel. Um, You know, 
Ah, all right, all right, all right. I, I have, I'm, I'm mixed blessed. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't set one up for this. So, so I don't want to do a typical December one, even though we're early in December, which is like jump on that Christmas bandwagon thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and do this. I'm, I'm gonna talk about sports fandom, and I'm gonna say I'm giving everyone the a okay to be a fan of a rival team. Uh, oh shit i i live here in seattle and i'm a fan of the portland timbers and the portland timbers are going to the mls cup damn get it next week and so we're going to play for the title it's our second title attempt and it's uh it'll it'll be it'll be a great game either way we're playing against a really good atlanta squad in that Mm. brand new mercedes-benz uh stadium there in in atlanta georgia so uh, I'm really excited about that. I got some flack moving back to Seattle, having the affinity of Portland. I'm a Seahawks fan. We're about to kick off against the 49ers. I'm a Mariners fan. We're, uh, you know, King Griffey Jr., uh, <laughs> which is like 30 years old reference, but I just say it because that's all we have anymore. Um, and then the Sonics obviously left. I used to do the website for the Blazers. So about 10 years ago, I became a Blazer fan. It's been a great 10 years. It's been a fun franchise to root for. Obviously, Seahawks owner Paul Allen, rest in peace, just passed away, was an owner of the Blazers. So with that, and Brandon Roy and Nate McMillan, former Sonic in Seattle uh, product, uh, Brandon Roy, it was really easy to make that transition. And I like that. I like that squad this year. Uh, and and then I, I know my brother lives here in Seattle. He... Uh, he, he was a Detroit fan growing up, and he moved here, and the Seahawks were kind of in the middle of their slump, and we weren't, like, the greatest team ever. And, and he was like, I'm just going to stay a Detroit fan. And he still is a Detroit fan, and they've gone through some turmoil. And it's mm-hmm. it's okay. My cousin, she grew up in Colorado, but she moved to uh, the Bay and was living in San Francisco for the years that they went to the, like, World Series, three out of five years. Mm-hmm. So she's a San Francisco Giants fan. Oh, yeah. Now she lives in Portland. Portland doesn't have a team. Okay, it doesn't matter. But Portland might get a team one day. True. Guess what? She can stay a San Francisco 49ers fan. Because what we're doing is we're kind of, it's it's not the same as culture, but it's kind of the closest thing Americans got to, like, a standardized culture, is we go to these places, we find these affinities, these teams have a culture behind them in a way. If, oh, you, yeah, meet a, if you meet a Raiders fan, yo, first of all, I'm respectful for the Raiders for a lot of things. They played hard in the 80s, and Bo Jackson is single-handedly my favorite NFL player of all time. Now, that being said, their fans can be a little abrasive, really loud, you know. They, You're talking for, to someone from Philadelphia here. You know how Eagles oh fans God, are. Oh, God, Eagles fans, man. Because I was going to go into that because uh, if, if y'all don't follow NFL stuff, uh, the Atlantic Northeast, right, is just the contentious four-way rivalry bullshit that just happens every year. Right, and I think I've talked about it before. My dad was an Eagles fan, um, and his nephew was a Giants fan. But oh my fucking god, if you are a Cowboys fan in Philadelphia, you just just don't say anything. I mean, like I should say that, but yeah, if you are a Cowboy fan, because it it is common knowledge, uh, right behind E A G L E S Eagles to shit on. The Cowboys, no matter what, even though they have more titles than us, <laughs> right? Like they, they are objectively like 
they have more money than us. They make, but Philadelphia is like, fuck you, Cowboys. And I guess it's because like everyone else is actually in the Atlantic Northeast. You got the Washington Redskins, which we, you know, problematic, but whatever. Um, you have the New York Giants and you have the Eagles and you have the Cowboys in Texas. Why are you in the NFC East? Why? Right. Why? So I, I get why they get so much shit, but yeah, if you like the Cowboys, I ain't mad at you because I like the Carolina Panthers, right? Although I don't like Cam Newton very much anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> but and it's funny because you know Philadelphia, one of its part of its culture is it held back no punches when their teams were bad. Yeah, I swear they invented the term boo birds. <laughs> I think Boo Birds comes from Eagles fans booing their team so loudly that people reference it and say, oh, the Boo Birds are coming out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's an interesting thing. I went through an era where the Seahawks were essentially the Boo Birds. We were terrible, mm-hmm. but like no one, no one got on it. We were too busy doing the wave in the '90s because we had the the Kingdom, and so oh. it was this very round stadium, so you could like easily get the wave going. Nice. So it didn't matter. We didn't have a thing on the field. We just wanted to stand up every thirty seconds, wave our arms. Uh, but yeah, so fandom, and the reason I say this is because I think this correlates with political discourse, and I think I think. We need to bring down the rhetoric in both arenas, haha, <laughs> pun, <laughs> uh, and 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 actually allow ourselves discussion in in different things. And and if if someone's disagreeing, like to the fact that I don't like the 49ers, I've never liked the 49ers. Joe Montana was an impressive quarterback, and he had his own Sega game that was pretty fun. So <laughs> those are my my connections to the 49ers. Also, I like the idea of old timers gold mining. So 49ers as that is kind of cool. But as a franchise, I'm not a big fan. But, you know, I've never hated on people that have been from San Francisco. I love San Francisco, the city. Mm-hmm. I've never hated on people that were 49ers fans. I've always just kind of like, you know, teased them a little bit about that game where Richard Sherman knocked the ball from uh, Crabtree. <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, I want them to be them. That's 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 how the world works. I want people to be able to be themselves. So in the uh, the coming December, January rush to the Super Bowl, and then obviously the emergence of hockey and later, you know, baseball will be back in March. Um, basketball continues. Let's remember to allow people to come into our cities from other places to wear their jerseys with pride and to be from or about a team that you may not root for because fandom comes from where you're from it comes from a history your grandpa could have gotten you into that sport and your grandpa's no longer here and you watch those games and you remember him watching them with you these things are beautiful these things are part of the fabric of america the things that we can be proud of and and we're going into that bowl season there's going to be some great sports going on so celebrate your fellow rival and 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 allow fandom to occur and with that i say go fucking timbers (laughs) we gonna do this so that's my my uh, digression obsession for this session. Digression obsession of this session. That's that's good. Exactly. Uh, we have pretty much come to the end of the eps, dog. What do you? Uh... Uh, the only other thing I just wanted to let them know about the uh, the Green New Deal because I said I would talk about that last week. Um, and definitely it segues back into your, if we're going to bring people over here, um, we give them something to do. Uh, let's see. It's not really a policy, but it's a framework. Um, and some eggheads at at various, uh, think tanks and stuff has divided it into three separate arenas, environmental policy, jobs, and equity and justice. 
the environmental policy is 100% renewable energy system and fully modernized electrical grid by 2035. That's one of Alexandria Ocasio's uh, platforms. Uh, jobs, it definitely would say job training incentives, uh, boosting the clean energy sector, green jobs guarantee for anybody who wants one, and the green jobs guarantee, or just jobs guarantee, which is a democratic social sort of platform that's happening. Um, but also, this was kind of being started by Obama, and that's the one that gets criticized by Republicans as picking winners and losers. So trying to find a way to have those uh, oil companies sort of segue into uh, maybe the more clean energy space. I did see a Shell ad when I was doing research for today's show uh, talking about hydrogen um, energy. So that was interesting. And the last one is just equity and justice, which is prioritizing communities that are most exposed to climate change and pollution. Um, yeah, other than that, I'm still sad that the one that we tried to put forth um, didn't go through. But then also in its defense of not going through, a lot of people said it was the minimum we could do, but it was also still giving kind of the oil industry uh, uh not their comeuppings as much as we need to to make a great impact so yeah yeah we'll see i mean big player in pollution control and climate control and green things is china um and us obviously and us mm -hmm. but but it's also them so you know if they start to become the green leader it's really going to reflect badly on us cuz we they're starting to well and they will ultimately is the my point like we need to catch up um it's it's ridiculous and also um you know don't listen to what exxon says cuz hydrogen has been their like golden ticket for the last 30 years and we haven't seen it yet fuel cells were supposed to be on the roads in 2020 so i haven't seen a single fuel cell car on the market yet um so I know it's out there. It's technology that's out there. It's just hyper expensive, and it's it's not as uh, uh, what do you call it? reliable. Reliability is like the key in the uh, in the oil industry. You know, these cars still run from the 1910s. So you know, it's hard for them to kind of jump on board. Tesla is kind of the closest thing we've got to a modern era. The Prius was a good kind of bridge to that, but you know, we need uh, we need innovation, and we need it to be reliable. Because that's, that's the key in that market. Um, I think we're at the end, man. Yeah, no, that that does about it. I can't. I don't have enough time to complain about Nancy Pelosi, but next time. I know. Hey, Nancy, <laughs> we appreciated your service, but please just let somebody else lead. It'd be nice. Oh, no, no. She got elected, so. I know, but I just. <laughs> she's such a. Uh, anyway, she's so triggering for the other side. It's just like, I can't. I can't anymore. <laughs> uh, and, and i and i i support her but I, mm -hmm. anyway we'll see uh as always you, you can tweet me your nancy pelosi no please don't opinions <laughs> at c-town mayor that's s-e-a-t-o-w-n-m-a-y-o-r because i'm helping your municipality by the coast look out for tsunamis um and you can always get a hold of the show at h-y-l-b-o-x at gmail.com send us uh your information about what's going on in your town and how you're helping and uh, what we can talk about. How can they get at you, Chaz? Uh, you know, find me, Chaz Baz, on the Instagram and the, the Twitters. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's where I'll be. That's where I'll be hanging out. Uh, Going to turn that more into like letting y'all know about the world, trying to you know piggyback off the segments we have and all that. Uh, yeah. Um and don't watch from Justin to Kelly. It's horrible. <laughs> the 2003 <laughs> American Idol produced 
Uh, Justin Kelly. Although it has uh, Anika Rose, and that's the only reason why I watched it again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, shout out to David Bory from the All Fantasy Everything podcast. Went and saw him tell comedy jokes last night, and he was super funny. So shout out to him from the show with Ian Carmel and my buddy Sean Jordan. So uh, they're doing good things, and go check him out if you see him in a comedy theater near you. And uh, with that, Chaz, we have made it. Um, good times. Indeed. Uh, be kind to your fellow humans, folks. We'll be back in another show soon. We out. Peace. Do you love me? Yep. Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me. Because I want you and I need you. And I'm down for you always, KB. Love me, are you riding? Say you never